Mrs. Paperman meets such interesting people. A half hour of commentary on what's going on in the news media, what is happening, some true things about trying to tell the truth. I'm Rex Smith, your host from the Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union, with a couple of my former editor colleagues. That would be Judy Patrick, formerly editor of the Daily Gazette, and Barbara Lombardo, formerly executive editor of the Saratogian and the Record of Troy, and here's Rosemary Armeo, investigative reporter, et cetera, et cetera. A bunch um, of has-beens. A bunch of, you know, last time I said that, somebody uh, was to, upset. Yeah. It's, it's true. I used no. to be somebody. <laughs> I could have been a contender. I could have been. I could have been. A, but we still have some uh, thoughts about what's going on in the media today and actually gives you a little bit of freedom to talk about things when you're uh, not wedded to the success of one place or another. Hey, let's talk a little bit about this huge story that's come out of Hawaii you know, the tragedy of the Maui fire. And it has been, of course, in the news for days. The question is, how has the media handled it? What do you think we've done? How did, how did it go? What do you want to say, Rosemary? The question out of Maui that has interested me is why anchors, news anchors and stars have to be in Hawaii. And it does it make the story more important? Does it make it more personalized that, you know, Anderson Cooper is there on the beaches? And is it a nice job to get? Yeah, like I take a trip to Hawaii. I'll go cover tragedy and disaster. And it's also a political issue because we hold the president in account for either he's too sympathetic or not sympathetic enough. He acted too fast, not too fast. He interfered, he didn't interfere. I personally would want FEMA in before the president, but what is the way to cover the story? And I would say that they have shown the scope of the damage. They have raised questions about why are cities burning down to the ground? This is like the Great Chicago Fire, and that was hundreds of years ago. Why did this happen now? I think the press has done generally a good job, but I have questions. Anybody disagree with that? No, I think they got off to a slow start, um, in part because of the time difference. It's not East Coast time, and so it was harder for them to gauge. But within 48 hours, they were up and doing some wall-to-wall coverage. I think from the early coverage, you can see the devastation was happening, and they were relying on people on the ground. I agree with Rosemary. I don't. The idea of having to send Anderson Cooper or right. a, a brand-name anchor, you know, to show the yes, we think this is an important story, kind of gives short shrift to the poor reporter on the ground actually doing the work. Who actually knows more, who is based in the community and probably knows more than Anderson Cooper. So do you think, Barbara, that it's possible that the presence of an anchor is to television news what a large headline is in print, that hmm. maybe that is the signifier hmm. of an importance of a story? Yes, I do. Thanks for telling <laughs> me that so far. Uh, I, I think it does matter. And that while I agree with Judy on the point that you've got somebody um, who could be an up-and-coming star or just a really hard worker at the local station who can very adequately tell the news, if it's that important news, then you want your most prominent members of your staff to be telling that story. Same as in the political world where they want Joe Biden, they want the president of the United States to go to the area of a disaster. Yes, you want FEMA there to actually be doing the work, but you want your leadership. You want to see and hear your leadership. So the name anchors, even though that's not their expertise covering the fire or cover. Their expertise is bringing gravitas to a situation, bringing the name. It's the stations saying, this issue is so important that we want to send our most talented, prominent, biggest names to tell the story. Best paid. The, uh, you know, most it, expensive. It, it is interesting how we're linking politics 
and television journalism because both are really performative. You know, doing the job of a member of Congress these days is so much less about legislation than it is about appearing to be the congressperson, getting your name in the news. That point was made by none less than Marjorie Taylor Greene, who talks about, you know, her role is to spotlight issues, not to actually legislate. Yeah, if you could also imagine yourself as the top reporter at a newspaper or one of the best reporters at at a news site and something big happens, you want to be the person who gets to go. It's almost a perk in my mind, for the person who's up there to get to go to the site of the, it's usually some sort of a yeah. tragedy. The best reporter, but Lester Holt is not necessarily no. the best reporter at NBC News, right? Hey, yeah. did, we ever, did we ever see Walter Cronkite get out from behind his desk? Vietnam. So, I don't even know. Oh, Vietnam. Vietnam. And that's, that's not a good example because <laughs> that would that had huge gravitas and it changed the course of the war probably. But, mm-hmm. but we don't have Walter Cronkites anymore. We have, you know, Savannah Guthrie, who's on the battlefields of Ukraine. It does nothing for me. I think it's time for TV news to maybe look at some of its formats. And indeed, I think they are. Like, why do you have a weatherman standing out in the wind when there's a hurricane? And the message is, get out of the wind, go to a shelter, don't be where I am. Crazy. And yet, it's traditional and we do it. And it is designed to build audiences. The joke was about Chris Cuomo, who would go to these (laughs) things and wear a T-shirt, you know, so that he could flex his biceps on camera and just make everybody go, oh my, he's the good-looking Cuomo brother. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and it was very beneficial for him because he really yeah. built a brand on that. He did. Hey, he built a brand on his flex. And, but we should also mention that when you get bombarded with press in the middle of a disaster, that also distracts from the recovery efforts. And you know, we need to be mindful of that, that in addition to you know saving people and rebuilding and uh, opening roads, the people in charge have to accommodate you know a press pool and satellite trucks, and the press needs to be there because the public needs to be informed. But it can be a real distraction. The other element, though, about this coverage is the question about whether there has been adequate attention to what caused the fire, namely the impact of climate change and the cause of this. CNN mentioned climate change three times. MSNBC five times. ABC, CBS, NBC did not tie the fires to climate change in any of the 35 segments that aired of the first eight days. So this is a question. Don't we expect that kind of depth? Shouldn't we? A news story like this one does not happen in one day. And the first day, the story's breaking news. And I want to hear about dead people, rescue operations, property damage, the extent of the fire, all the breaking news elements. And you are now seeing those stories come out. Uh, The one I just mentioned about how could a city burn right to the ground the way Chicago did? What happened to all those years of code enforcement and protection? And you are seeing the stuff about climate change. You are seeing whether power lines played a role in this. And you're seeing lots of stories about the disinformation that came out about the cause of the fire, that some sort of pure energy was being laser-focused. Crazy or what? (laughs) Conspiracy theories that are coming out about it. And and where you hear that, of course, is on the non-news stations, Fox and Newsmax and so on, the the people, the the, the right-wing talk crazy channels. You know, the first (laughs) couple of days, I remember that they didn't know what started the fire. So I I think they were, everyone was responsible not going into that because they just didn't know. But you mentioned that the survey that you were quoting was eight days. I mean, by 
day three or four, we should have had a, a much better understanding of what happened there. I, I don't know, but I, I remember a Pulitzer Prize story out of Kentucky about a school bus, a horrific school bus accident. And that for the first week or so, you're talking about dead kids, you know, and that is the story. And then eventually came out about seatbelts and school bus construction and roads and, and all the things that the journalists are looking at over time. Is five days really a lot to ask for that? I don't know. It doesn't seem to me that uh, we're well served by the same stories being repeated over and over on the true. on the cycle. That's true. Uh, what do they call that? The, not the pie. What's the word? They, uh, uh, the loop. Yes, I guess that's right. <laughs> and you know, in print, we have something similar, and that is really the bee matter. Uh, there's so much content that is repeated in a story for the benefit of those mm -hmm. readers who have been on another planet. <laughs> that, uh, you know, if you're a good newspaper reader, you can read the lead and the nut graph, about the third paragraph it would be, and you're, you're kind of done with it. The, the rest of it's background, stuff yeah. that you've seen before. I, I think I've gotten most of my news about what's going on in Hawaii from the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I think that they've done a good job. I agree that it takes time to tell the stories. And I also, while I think it's important to mention climate change, I don't think it serves anyone to try to mention it in every single story. Hmm. Some, not every story is going to be about it. That's interesting. But isn't climate change the biggest issue of our time, yes. arguably? Could there be anything bigger than the potential existential threat of climate change? I mean, I'm, I'm almost in favor of, of putting a, a box. Well, I'm, here's old-fashioned. Putting a box <laughs> on the front page. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a box on a website. A link, a link to more. Uh -huh. Yeah, all the time. I mean, I just think we need to figure out a way as journalists to put climate change front and center on every story. And I don't know quite how to do that. Luckily, I don't have to edit a newspaper anymore because <laughs> I hope that somebody's thinking of that and coming up with a way to do it, but it doesn't seem to be happening yet. And it shows in the attitudes of citizens. Um, a very small fraction of Republicans especially believe that climate change is a key issue that needs to be dealt with, a higher percentage of Democrats. But overall, it's less than 40% of Americans, if I'm recalling correctly what I just read this week about polling, tell us that climate change is one of the most serious issues that we need to confront. You know, the people who are being interviewed on Hawaii, that I, at least the people I hear, they, they are talking about, you know, the lack of response, the lack of warning. They're talking about mm -hmm. really specific issues that they're worried about, but none of them talk about climate change. And is that a reflection of what the media has not been doing? Or is that a, a, they're not cognizant that this is why? But don't you think a lot of happened. those people are concerned about the here and now and the their thousand yeah, families, exactly. their property, exactly. their lives, their homes. They yeah. are talking about developers coming so. in and wanting to buy their land. They're net with destroyed houses. They just buy it out. They, those are immediate concerns. It takes a professional journalist. Citizen journalism cannot do everything. And it takes a professional journalist to go and talk about what is our response. And this will not be the last time it happens because of climate change. So what happens next? Does our alarm system need revising? Does our response, emergency response system need revising? Definitely our budgets on every level, local, state, and federal, need to be revised to take care of climate emergencies, which will be increasing. And aside from climate, when they talked about the emergency response systems not working the way they were supposed to, and, and then there was a report right after that saying they had just been tested very recently. I don't know what the results of the test were. I didn't mm -hmm. follow that part of it. Maybe they tested them and said, oh boy, we need to do a lot of repairs. Don't you think that every local government should be looking at their own response? 
Yes. Yeah. And, and, and citizens should be saying, well, what about in our town? How's our response system? Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe that will happen. But that would probably only happen if great journalism is happening around the country, mm-hmm. kind of holding people to account mm-hmm. for that. Uh, to keep following the story. The right. breaking news is one thing. I give them lots of leeway to do that. But then you move into the next stage, and you can't just move on to a whole new story. How vulnerable are we in each community right. to this kind of right. thing? Could uh, it happen here? That's good journalism. You know, they've, another example of that kind of thing is uh, the Adirondack Explorer, the, the wonderful not-for-profit newsroom in the Adirondacks, is doing this series on dam safety. You know, which dams most imperil people in their path? And that's a story that needs to be done all over the United States because we have so much decaying infrastructure in this country. And I don't know that newsrooms all over the country are doing that. Well, I think after 9-11, there was a big push in the media and in communities. How, what, how safe is our water supply from terrorist attacks? What's the response system if there's some disaster in our region? How are people going to be notified? There was a big push for that. And then it sort of fizzles away. Things, bad yeah. things don't happen and it doesn't get followed up. Right. In the aftermath, right after 9-11, we did a story in the Times Union about the fact that the tallest building between the World Trade Center, which had just collapsed, and the Canadian border was the Corning Tower here in Albany. Hmm. And the reaction of readers was fury. Very angry that You're we are telling had, people to mm-hmm. target target oh, the corner. So wow. Much. Yeah. Wow. It was uh, so. Yeah, they might have noticed. Uh, I don't care about any of this. I just want to read another indictment story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of local journalism in peril, we do need to pay some attention to the Marion County Record in Kansas, the newspaper that was raided by local officials as a result of a search warrant signed by a judge, accusing the newspaper of ill illegal acquiring uh, a letter and this all turns out to have been what's the word concocted it turns out to have been fraudulent effort it seems by trumped up there was a trumped Trumped up up search warrant (laughs) absolutely and the question is how you sustain press freedom when you have local officials judges even it seems in this case having signed a search warrant uh, raiding a newspaper, a family-owned newspaper with seven employees. The matriarch of the family died the day after, 98 years old, the, the day after police searched the newspaper's office. And her home. And her home, right. So this is a big deal. And I wonder what this says about the state of even local journalism. If we see even the local newspapers being targeted in this way. It seems like the state of the free press is perilous at this point. It scares the heck out of me. It really does. And even when there are bogus charges and things are taken away, this should never have happened in the first place. The fact that it can happen worries me that it could happen a lot more. And Mm -hmm. even if the newspaper wins its counter lawsuits, the damage is still done. And the cost to a local newspaper, to any kind of local news outlet, to defend itself against these kinds of frivolous actions, that alone could undo a publication. There are thousands of these standalone, family-owned, small newspapers serving small towns. There's thousands of small towns across America, and some of them aren't surviving. Some of them are barely hanging on. And you and you saw in this case that you know these people are working 80-hour weeks trying to put out the paper. They're trying to do investigative, hard-hitting stories. They're trying to do it right. 
and the police just marched in and seized everything. Sure, they gave it back, but big deal. Who knows what they accessed and what their real motives were. And the fact that a judge signed this search warrant was completely oblivious. And a chief prosecutor okayed it, too. And it it appears that they didn't even follow Kansas law on the affidavit, the probable cause affidavit that they submitted in order to get it. A couple of things. I think that these are third world tactics. I'm familiar with this from working in Africa, where Mm -hmm. dictators would walk in and shut down newspapers. And the reporters in those places took measures that American reporters now have to take because it is a danger everywhere. And that is don't bring your cell phones, you know, in the office. Don't keep your source list anywhere in your computer. You have to encrypt because they will come after. I I don't think this is going to be isolated. And also a lesson for the newspaper, they had the um the drunk driving arrest which was the root cause the supposed cause of this that a um a local restaurant owner said that uh, the papers had used illegal tactics to get access to her drunk driving conviction drunk driving convictions are public a leak that she had one probably came from the husband she's in the middle of a divorce she get lots of information when people are fighting with each other and then they verified that she did have a drunk driving and they didn't print it they went to the lawyer and the lawyer goes yeah of course you can print it it's public record and they didn't because they were acting like a small town newspaper and went to the police and said hey you know we're, we're sorry this came out we're not sure what the source was they should have printed it and then there would have been no reason for that perhaps no reason for that for that raid but the target of local uh, unwealthy news organizations is certainly significant in Wausau Wisconsin there's something similar where a county board meeting back in August of 2021 where apparently the guy who runs a local shredding company called a 13 year old boy well he used an anti-gay slur. And this guy, by the way, has now been elected to the state Senate in Wisconsin. And he has sued the newspaper, the Wausau Pilot and Review. Actually, there are two newspapers serving that area. And they've already racked up close to $150,000 in legal bills defending against the lawsuit over what they insist is a truthful story, even if it is incorrect, of course. The guy is a public figure, and so it is a—the case has been uh, dismissed. The the, uh, initial case has been dismissed, but he's continuing and is appealing the dismissal. So this poor newspaper is now being hobbled by this wealthy Republican state senator, and that is his intent. Obviously, yeah. local officials are trying to do this to local press. Yeah, that's as scary as the police raid in Kansas because small local papers can be put out of business with a, with a legal bills like that. They do not have the wherewithal to defend themselves. And even when they're in the right, even if you have libel insurance, there's a certain amount of deductibles you have to deal with. And $150,000 in, in that neck of the woods is three reporters for a year, three mm-hmm. well-paid reporters, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, big papers have as well have this, and they've long tried to fight slap law lawsuits, these strategic lawsuits against public participation. This seems almost like a nuisance lawsuit. The reporter from the paper wasn't on site and didn't hear it directly, but got secondhand information that the person did indeed say say this. He has one person saying he didn't, but that may be the focus of the lawsuit. But you're going to see more and more of this. This is a tactic that will be used. And they'll start at the small papers, but they'll work their way up to the mm-hmm. mid-sized papers. And maybe someday you'll see it happen to the New York Times. And while there are opportunities for recovery of what you spend, if it is a frivolous lawsuit, a judge can assess legal fees against the person who brings the frivolous lawsuit. But depending on the state, maybe will not. Depending on the local judge, maybe they will not assess the local state senator 
for the uh, hassle of putting this newspaper potentially out of business. And it is all, of course, part of a strategy, I would say, by people who would rather not have to deal with an aggressive local press or an aggressive press generally. I mean, it's just basically a localization of Donald Trump's tactics of attacking anybody who questions his and, and again, this is another third world tactic. I've seen this before, too. And some of the cures for that we saw happen in Marion that all the press associations who have anything to do with press freedom in the United States put out statements and rallied around it. There was a lot of public pressure on on the officials in Marion to take back what they did. That was very helpful. And reporters have to support each other. So the New York Times, which does have a stable of fantastic First Amendment lawyers, um, maybe they have to lend out some of their expertise. I was just wondering about that. Yeah. There's anything with there's foundations that are The Reporters Committee in Washington (laughs) provides free legal aid to to papers under attack like this. Mm -hmm. And and we do it too, like publicizing. I did not know about that paper in Wisconsin. Maybe we have to get a subscription to that paper too. There you go. There's an idea. Folks, if you have thoughts, media at WAMC.org is how you uh, share your views with us. We'd be very happy to hear about it. Rosemary Romeo, who you just heard, Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith, and we're happy to have you here. Being the only guy in the room, I have to bring up Greg Gutfeld of, uh, Greg Gutfeld, sorry, Fox. If only you you didn't have women in your newsroom. Yeah, that's what he... You want to associate with him? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) You know, you're right. I shouldn't have put it that way, should I? He says, what would happen if all the women took a ladies week off and they went to Venus? How many of these problems would exist? He is blaming crime. There was a smash and grab crime that occurred over the weekend at a Los Angeles Nordstrom. And Gutfeld went on a rant saying that it's if I get this straight, it's because women are soft on crime. And that's why we have crime. So if it weren't for women, we wouldn't have that kind of crime. I I don't even think we should be talking about this idiot. And maybe it's because you guys are always sticking together. But we should not be discussing giving him a, a moment of anyone's attention. It's not worth it. This is the guy who talked about like how great it was that slaves developed useful skills. Uh, and gee, and if you were in a concentration same camp, same with the Holocaust. Yeah, if you were yeah. in a concentration you camp, useful. it was useful to for survival. This. This guy does not deserve to be talked about. It's an example of where Fox News has no conscience and that just as people who only watch Fox News don't know what's really going on in the world, we're giving credibility just by mentioning the person. He is we're, right, We're though. raising curiosity. He is right. If all the women were in Venus, there would be no criminals born because the preponderance of criminals in this country are men. They would not be born at all. So there, idiot. How is this guy still on the air? Yeah. He works for yeah. Fox. Fox. <laughs> it's all about profit it's not, and it's not a news channel you know this is i appreciate the fact that one of the uh, news letters that we get on media issues no longer includes fox among its ratings of news channels Interesting. Uh, you know you have the three broadcasts uh, you have msnbc and you have cnn and then fox is a, a talk channel it's different it's not news it's talk and i you know we've said it here on this show that real journalists don't work for fox and people shouldn't watch fox it makes you stupid so, uh, so at the risk of talking about Fox, I did look to see what was Fox doing with the, all the indictments that had just come oh, down I did that Georgia. Too. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have heard that bad news. No, it was all about San Francisco. Democratic leadership is a mess. That's what they led with that day. Really? Mm-hmm. On the day that Trump was indicted in Georgia? On the night. Now, okay. The night. But then there was the plenty night, of follow-up. The night's lights went on in Georgia. <laughs> there was plenty of follow-up about what a ridiculous Trump-up charge yes. this yes, was. Yes, you're right. Wow. All political. 
It did seem like a historic thing. It had. <laughs> You think <laughs> they seen four sets of indictments? It's just um, uh, it never been ha never. I mean, I think the the history of it it's so astounding that it is sometimes lost because we have gotten used to the string of indictments. But keep in mind, it's a former president. Yeah, but Judy, what about Hunter Biden? <laughs> Exactly. Was he ever president? Did I miss that whole administration? Oh, boy. Uh, so it would be wonderful to hear some defense of Fox. But right I, in. Yeah, Let right in. Media at WMC.org. It does give you an opportunity to think about that sort of thing. But here is the question. The uh, Apparently, the arraignment of Trump, when it finally happens in Fulton County, is going to be broadcast. Uh, that is uh, allowed. And, and this is why what is going on in Georgia is important, because it's not a crime that if Trump is convicted of, he can pardon himself or his uh, attorney general, if he's reelected, can uh, get him out of. This is a big deal. And it's going to be broadcast uh, perhaps just in time for uh, election season. So he's going to give his 100-page response on Monday. And I'm sure he will do it live. Should the stations carry this live? Not no, at all. they should cover it and broadcast it if it is newsworthy. It's not going to be. It's good because there has been there have been many opportunities Correct. in a court of law to raise any new issues, to raise allegations. It's all going to be a rehash of what we've already heard, which lawyers don't speak of in court, of course, because they can be disbarred. But there will be <laughs> regrettable rehash every hour on the hour throughout the days after that of the MSNBC and CNN and their talking heads giving publicity to snippets of whatever it is that I Trump don't know. Says. I don't think they will. I'll, I think I'll we've, they've we'll learned their we'll... lesson. You will hear a lot about it on Fox. I mean, Fox will lead with uh, this, and you'll hear about it on talk radio, right-wing talk radio, which is, uh, again, the, the place where people who sit on bar stools and talk to each other uh, get a microphone stuffed in their face, and they become talk radio hosts. So I think we'll hear more of this, but it is shameful. And, I, and again, I just don't think that there's any excuse for anybody who works in journalism taking a job in Fox or anybody who pays attention to journalism to to watch that station. Except for us, we're doing professional <laughs> research, right? <laughs> the problem is that it's resilient and it is uh, entertaining. Anyway, finally today, if you think that there is nothing that is going on in print, uh, here's a report that people are upset about a newspaper in uh, Las Vegas removing the baseball page. And so the editor has come back. Yep. I love, I love that story because any of us who ever worked in a newsroom in a decision-making position can identify with that. Yep. Making the mistake of removing the bridge. Who plays bridge anymore? Making <laughs> I and I have to say, one of my close friends is a big bridge player, <laughs> oh, and she's, she listens. The, the stock so. tables, the baseball scores, the TV comics, right. the comics. Oh, Brenda Starr. Why did you kill Brenda <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all, folks, from uh, this old corner of the media. Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our producer, David Castina, and to you folks for joining us this week once again on The Media Project. It's wonderful to represent the 
The Media Project is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany, Barbara Lombardo, former editor of the Saratogian and adjunct professor at the University at Albany, and former Times Union editor and current Upstate American Substack columnist Rex Smith. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcasts.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your producer, David Gustina. Thanks for listening. Such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.